Turn on the radio. My homie got a new show and it's time to play it though. I hope you got in tune. He talking bigger business. He make a lot of moves. He talking Skakatoon. I'm saying, wait a minute. Turn on the radio. My homie got a new show and it's time to play it though. I hope you got in tune. He talking bigger business. He make Welcome to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon, and you are listening to WGN Radio AM720. We ran a little long on the on the intro there as I was taking a pano picture of this beautiful studio, and behind me is the Air and Water Show, as you've heard in all commercials today on every station in Chicago. We don't get quite as good a view of it because uh, our view is so good that they don't want to fly here and disrupt it. Uh, and so occasionally we get to see bombers flying behind us, but uh, what a cool day to be downtown Chicago. Regardless, we have a, a very... Um, I don't know. What's the word for today's show? I don't even, uh, I guess I'm going to go through memory lane, even though it was only a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were going to originally try to have Brideside on the show right after the wedding, um, when my wedding I'm speaking of, uh, but I got a root canal instead, which, uh, like I said last time, was not, not the best way to spend a Saturday. Uh, so we now have Brideside uh, founder Nicole Staple calling into the show uh, to talk about all things bridal. I had my wedding um, at River Roast in Chicago on Wacker in LaSalle, and it was the most insane, uh, gorgeous place that, that you could have a wedding at. So uh, I think it'll be interesting here to to find out from the bride side like what the what it's like. Um, I I guess I have to laugh and say I didn't... I, I had a lot to do with planning, actually, the, the wedding, um, but I really didn't pay attention maybe to what the bride was was doing or like or how that whole process went so uh, as i'm sure this comes as a complete shock to everybody listening <laughs> um but it'll be interesting to, to actually hear you know what what the bride like what picking out a dress is like i have no idea like i i ended up in the um I, well, I was in the doghouse but i was <laughs> i was getting the scowl so to speak because i randomly went out and got my suit like i didn't ask anybody like i didn't ask about colors i didn't oh right so she she was like what no, are you, you doing? need to pick this scheme and this color with this matches this flower. Yeah, like, oh. th- those are like I, I will for the sanctity of my 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 life. I will say that she didn't have that tone that you had. It was <laughs> it was more complimentary. Uh, that's not actually true, but I'll just say it. Um, but but absolutely, like I didn't I didn't think it through. I wasn't like like everything else in my life. I suppose I wasn't thinking like what's the color scheme. I remember I remember in my head. This is how stupid I am, right? I remember in my head, she said to me, Jennifer is, is my wonderful, beautiful bride. She said to me, white, because the flowers, I knew it was going to be white flowers because she loves them. Uh, the type of flower, what is it, hydrangea? I don't know what, what it's called. I, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, and I, I didn't then and I don't now. Um, and green, because the stems are green and we were going with this sort of like, uh, what, what's the, I guess... The, the goal of it was to make it look sort of like a Gatsby wedding, but you wouldn't oh. have left being mm-hmm. like, that's Gatsby. You yeah. would have just like, like hmm, felt. I, if, I get what you're saying. You yeah. know what I'm saying, right? So, yeah. so in my head, I was like, white and green. Find me something that doesn't go with white and green. <laughs> like nothing doesn't go with white and green. Yeah. So in my mind, what decisions are there to be made? Like I called <laughs> my tailor. I was like, I want to, that was the one thing we did discuss and agree on that. Like I would get a real suit, not a tux because why rent something and if you at least from my standpoint unless there's something like beautiful that you can wear again yeah if i'm gonna spend the money on it i it's got to be good um and so i, I literally just didn't tell jen i just called the tail i was like oh send me some colors and stuff and <laughs> and i just got it and when i texted her she was like are you kidding me and i i'm like what doesn't go with green she's like no no you have to match green and white not a color that's complimentary which 
it was news you to me. You thought you were helping her out. You're like, oh, just take care of this, get this done, so she has less to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was like, like everything, I thought I was being a helpful, good guy. There you go. And then every time I'm helpful and good, somebody reminds me that I am, in fact, not <laughs> helpful, maybe good, that's questionable. Uh, my my reasonings for things, my agenda, as, as they say, sometimes is... Uh, uh, dishonest is the wrong word, but uh, it's a little bit squirrely. <laughs> but at any rate, so th- th- I guess the point I'm trying to make for all of you out there listening, there's a lot more that goes into this than you would think, or at least than I thought. Am I crazy? I don't know. No, I mean, I'm 21 and I have a whole Pinterest board of wedding options and ideas, and I'm only 21 and single. So I'm just, you know. Just prepping. I'm just getting ready. But see, okay, so like, this is funny. This has nothing to do with startups nor the showcase, but uh, it's a funny conversation. I want to continue. Uh, th- so that was an assumption I had in my head. This is for all of you boys out there listening right now, um, or husbands that can't understand why the grudge has still not been lifted. Uh, my assumption was that you thought about this since you were 20, 20 years old. Oh, since, yeah. Yeah, or well, since, since you were like nine. I went to, yeah. yeah. Since the first dance you went to, you were thinking of how this is going to go. And so in my mind, I think of my business. Like, I think about Technori like that. I wake up, I go to sleep. Everything is Technori. It has been since the minute I, before it was even Technori. Um, and so if you ask me what I need to do tomorrow, I could tell you in great detail of what Technori is going to do tomorrow. Yeah. So I assume the same thing. If you thought about your wedding for your whole life, that it would be assumed that at this exact moment, if someone said, hey, you're getting married, Ashley, tomorrow, you'd be like, okay, no problem. I've got all, I'm got just going to like check, Boom. check, 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 check. Yeah. Uh, boys, wrong. <laughs> wrong, wrong, wrong. There's a million decisions that until faced with, uh, ladies need time to <laughs> figure it out and, and be happy and content with it. Otherwise, it's no good. Uh, and it, it's apparently much more important to them than you think it is. <laughs> Or at least than I thought. Oh, so yeah. It's just My food, wedding just has to be thought. perfect. <laughs> yeah, they all do. Yeah. So like, and I will say to Jen's effect, there, there was no bridezilla moments. There was none of that crazy stuff. It was just literally, um, you know, stressful moments trying to figure stuff out. Oh, yeah. It's a huge part. Like you're planning yeah. a big party. It's a big, And you exactly. want everybody to have fun. You want to have fun. You don't want to be stressed We did that. Yeah, thank, exactly. thank you, Mr. Siciliano. We did that. <laughs> we had a great time. Uh, but uh, d- d- you know, the bottom line is like, I underestimated how many how much time and money is going to go into things that in my head i thought she picked already like i can, I can only imagine you had like your wedding dress already decided right turns out and this is going to be something we'll talk about uh, after the break we'll pick up this conversation with nicole from brideside you go to brideside.com right now check it out you'll see what we're about to talk about um here's the thing not all dresses are cut the same in fact if they're custom even less so so like what looks perfect in your mind for the last 20 years until you get there and try it on turns out your body type isn't right for that dress or whatever uh that throws a wrench into everything and then all of a sudden you find out that like certain fabrics are available or unavailable and now you can't get the cheaper one you got to get the more expensive one if you want to keep the same look because certain fabrics can't be made a certain way there's a ton of stuff. And then that doesn't even get into the fact that like there's this subset of, of girls now who forever uh, in the past would have bought the wedding dress because it's going to be passed on generationally. Mm-hmm. Now they don't want to buy it. They want to rent it because they rent all their nice outfits. Like why? I'm only wear it once. That's a good point. But then there is that um, tradition aspect where it's like, oh, I can pass my wedding dress down to the you know, firstborn or that's a daughter or something along those lines see i thought that but i've heard um from tons of particularly girls in the tech community so i suspect that they're maybe more adaptable to to futurist stuff yeah um 
but that's not the case that they were they were like yeah why would i waste my, you know like they, th- their most important events that they've been to in their life that are not their wedding they've rented from like rent the run- runway or if you're like me and you're kind of a scumbag you go to nordstrom's or banana republic you buy an outfit <laughs> for a night out and then you return it the next day yeah right leave the tag tucked in the i back. don't even tuck the tag i pull all of it i don't i don't no shame <laughs> none you're like yeah that's right no this is I, and i feel like at some point i'll be famous and this outfit could be worth something and so I'm, as I see it, I'm actually giving them return on value. I've, I've, this is a loan. I'm insane. It's fine. We're going to learn more about Brideside. We're talk to uh, Brideside. We're going to talk to Nicole Staple after this. It is uh, about. I'm a little late. It's one sixteen and forty nine seconds. Big shock. You're listening to Scott Catoon, uh, What seemingly isn't the startup showcase. It's the wedding showcase today uh, on WGN Radio AM seven twenty. You are listening to the startup showcase today. Is uh, essentially the wedding showcase, um, but. That is okay because we have a, a a great guest, a great Chicago story, a Chicago tech story, uh, Nicole Staple from Brideside, founder of Brideside. She is uh, on the show right now. Hopefully, let me make sure that our we're set up for phone. Right, I think we are. Right, boom, phone. I'm here. Yeah, awesome, excellent. See, it's so good when when all the buttons clicked actually work for me, which is usually <laughs> not the case because I don't know what I'm doing, um, as you might know. Uh, so this is, I think. Um, it's not as timely as it would have been the week after my wedding or the day after. I was in no shape to talk to you the day after my wedding. The week after, I would have been, mm-hmm. uh, but ended up having to do a root canal, so I was not. Now I am, and I cannot wait to Ooh. share Brideside. I know, right? Share Brideside <laughs> with the community. Uh, before we get into you and your story in Brideside, um, why don't you just give a top-down to the listeners on what Brideside is? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on today. Of course. So Brideside is an all-channel concierge service for bridal parties who live all over the country. Um, We offer one of the largest collection of bridesmaid dresses online and in our showrooms that are located in Chicago and on the East Coast. So when a bride signs up with Brideside, she's connected with one of our style consultants who's um, a highly trained woman who's on our team who is an expert in all things bridesmaid dresses and wedding vision. And she works with the bride and all of her girls who live all over the country to help define and refine their vision and ultimately find the perfect dresses for the wedding. Um, We offer a try-at-home box, which is pretty unique, where girls can order three dresses to try on at home before they buy. Um, And as I mentioned, you can shop online or in our showrooms. Is this uh, the the boxes? Is that for bridesmaids and stuff, or is that for the bride itself? For bridesmaids, okay. yeah, no, for bridesmaids. Um, sometimes the bride orders them, but uh, we often see fit parties as well. So girls will all get together at home instead of going into a bridal boutique. Yes, and tons and tons of rosé. Uh, so I was I was tons. very <laughs> I was very fortunate um, <laughs> that my my wife we did not do uh, bridesmaids and groomsmen and that sort of stuff. We just kind of just stood up by ourselves and and did our thing so i I didn't have this problem i can only imagine adding this to the mix um i mean there was already stuff that like we had to work through just on you know on friends and like uh timing and having you know how much involvement in the shower and and, like what what do you get your girlfriends that have helped out with some stuff uh, as gifts and how much time do they spend with the bride yada 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 that was without bridesmaids so i can only imagine what this looks like when you have a whole cast of best friends involved and tastes. Um, what is the, like, I would ask you what got you into this, but I'm, I'm quite certain I, I have an idea. Um, 
<laughs> what what is like the what do you think is the the top most difficult thing for for brides well brides or bridesmaids to to like get the clothing thing down because i mean i just I, I don't know if you were able to listen to the, the pre part of the show but like i went out and just bought my my suit on my own and didn't ask anything and of course that went exactly as you could imagine it would go um so can you imagine trying to fit people of all shapes and sizes like that how did, what is the most difficult part of that yeah, you're exactly right. And this is um, precisely why we started the company. Um, you know, there are two things going on here, right? One is that it's a wedding and it's a really special day for the people who are planning it. And they really don't want all of the headaches that you just mentioned of having to coordinate tons of friends who may live all over the country, who may have very strong opinions on things. Um, they really want to be able to enjoy the process and enjoy the planning. And bridesmaid dresses are notoriously awful during the experience, right? Like the movie pretty much sums it up. You have women of all different sizes, all different personalities who come together for this. It can be quite dramatic. Um, So my co-founder and I honestly just felt like we wanted to create a brand that was digital first, that actually just provided more peace of mind and honestly, celebration to that experience. And so we often say like, let's get this bridal party started because we think that it should be a party. And you made the joke about Rosé before but we actually take rosé and champagne incredibly seriously. Champagne is flowing in our showrooms because, honestly, it should just be a good time. So one of the things we found that is the most difficult when a bride um, sort of approaches this part of the planning with her friends is finding um, finding the right dresses that fit what she has in her mind for a vision, right? She has something in her mind that she wants to be unique, that is a reflection of herself, and she wants her friends to come along on that um, vision, but she doesn't want to hurt anyone's feelings. She doesn't want to force anyone to buy something that her friend doesn't like. So we've actually found that by providing um, a stylist in the process, that the stylist can sometimes be provide style guidance. We can provide style boards, color swatches, but also we can just be your therapist. I was going to say, it's also some of the like, plausible <laughs> deniability, right? You can just blame them. I'm sorry, it's not my fault. Totally, the stylist made it. Totally. It's a middleman, right? Perfect. And so while, like, yes, we sell bridesmaid dresses, we actually think that we sell more of an experience, right? We sell fun between women, and we, like, celebrate that time together, and we try to make the bridesmaid dress something that's an afterthought. So I want to ask you, do you, uh, I don't know, time-wise, like, do you have, do you have time to stick around to come back on the, stay on the show for the second half after our break or no? Sure. Okay. I'm going to, I want to talk to you more about the business side of things on the, on the other side of the break. Um, I want to have one more question before we take our break here. And this is, I don't want to go too deep into the, into the, like the psychology here, but, um, something I have noticed again, I had, I like until my own wedding, I haven't been to one in years and I, it's probably by design. Um, but, uh, not my design, my friends not wanting me there because of whatever debauchery would happen. Uh, regardless of this, one observation I have from knowing lots and lots of girls in the startup community who have, who've recently gotten married or are in the process of it and talking to them while I was getting, you know, going through the process myself, um, <clears throat> there seems to be a shift from, and maybe this is as a result of shows like Bridezilla or whatever, but there's a shift I've noticed from where the bride is the full center of attention. Doesn't matter. Like we're not going to look good today. We're going to wear whatever outfit she has in mind for the setting of the wedding. And you know, if we're unhappy, we just swallow it and be quiet and, and the bride wins what she wants. And, and that that's how it was forever from what I recall. And I'm seeing, and maybe this is due to like Snapchat and selfie center 
of like everyone is their own, you know, queen bee or whatever, uh, where the girls are pushing back and being like, I don't look good in this. And it used to be, you know, we, let's say there's four girls that are getting dressed or guys in this matter as well, uh, on the groom side where they would literally say, um, you know, let's all make a concession. Like let's pick an outfit out that works for all of us, not great for any of us, not bad or terrible for any of us. All of us, it just sort of works all right. I'm noticing a trend where the girls, and and I'm sure the guys too, but I just hear it from the girls, where they're literally like, no, I'm not wearing this. I don't look great. I'm not doing it. And it's like the the bride is not even, not even a consideration anymore. So that side conversation of, no, I'm not doing that, I might not personally be privy to anymore. But what I can tell you from where I sit is that around 85% of our customers don't wear the same dress in the wedding. So what we're seeing is sort of what you're touching on, which is like, you know, um, this is a little ridiculous to have to all be matchy-matchy. It may work for some, right? But we give our brides a lot of credit for actually saying, like, you know, there's a lot of opportunity now with really beautiful dresses to style girls. They're almost walking on their own runway, runway, right? And so let's not sort of succumb to tradition. And in fact, we're seeing that across wedding planning, this idea of like, like the wedding being very traditional, right? You have all of these things, the cake cutting, um, even, even how the ceremony is structured. A lot of people just aren't doing that anymore. And actually, they're just much more focused on providing a really fun experience for their guests. In fact, I'm talking to you from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, where I got married four years ago yesterday, and we had a wedding at a ranch here in Jackson Hole, and we were not focused at all on anything traditional. We just wanted to have a huge dance party in a barn and we wanted people to have a really fun time in the outdoors well i will so, i will, you know, I will reaffirm the you. company i will reaffirm you on our way out of this uh, we've got to cut to to our break here but uh sure. i will reaffirm you with this i went on my honeymoon we went on our honeymoon before the wedding my lawyer was the person who officiated it because uh to date he still has never given me a bad contract thank you matt uh <laughs> and and honestly we did everything completely unconventionally it was like what do you want to do what do you, like we did our pictures first like what do you let's have fun what do you want to do so i i'm with you on that we were the perfect example of of non-traditional wedding but we had a great time nonetheless uh we're going to take a, a break here and you're going to hang on the line if you can and then we'll come back after the news and pick up our conversation because there's a lot of stuff on the on the funding side of things that i wanted to get into uh with you so we'll be back you're listening to scott Catoon, and this is wgn radio am 720 Got a new show and it's time to play it's it though. To play I it hope though, you right. got in tune. Got he in talking tune. bigger business. Talking big he make a lot of moves. Lot of Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm, I'm your host, Scott Katoon, listening to today's rendition of the Wedding Showcase. Uh, Nicole, are you still with us? I'm here. Excellent. Okay, so thank you so much for, for sticking uh, sticking around us on the back half of the show. Um, I, I wanted to. We're going to have a podcast and we're going to have you in. We're going to like break into like all the business nitty gritty. Uh, but there's some stuff that I wanted to talk about with you just because I think it's interesting um, in that you, you run a business that you started like many founders from a problem that you recognized. Um, but unlike a lot of founders, was this your first business? This was my first business. Okay. So, so unlike a lot of founders who are trying to get off the ground with stuff, you know, they, that this is their first time, uh, things are a little different for female founders. And Chicago is a place that we literally were on a panel at WeWork, um, a week ago. And the question that came up was, uh, directly was, why do you think 
Chicago is a better place than Silicon Valley than than um, than New York or whatever for female founders. And I said, well, one, you you assume that it is. It's you know, it's I think we get better press about it, but like that doesn't mean that it actually is better. And second, you're asking me, a male uh, founder of a company, what it's like to be a female founder. Uh, and so that didn't seem right. And so we're actually going to host this uh, salon event. I may or may not have mentioned this to you when I talked to you last on September 11th um that is private so it's kind of invite only which is weird that i'm talking about on the radio but the point of it is to bring together all of the uh female leaders in chicago that we can and say hey let's just like like turn off the mics and everything and have a a real conversation about what we can do to make this easier and better Mm -hmm. Uh, what was your experience Mm -hmm. as a first-time founder and a female founder getting a the company off the ground and b when it comes to the necessary funding and so forth what was that like for you yeah, I mean, to be honest, it, it wasn't easy, and we've we've been forced to operate um, in a really disciplined way to get to the point that we have. You know, we're around 50 employees now, have showrooms um, in four cities across the country, and and I've been growing quickly. But that that really came from our from our own sort of discipline in in cash management and execution, because it really was not easy for us to raise money. So when we you know when we were first getting the business off the ground. Um, the thing that I can say was we essentially, I think we faced um, two big hurdles. One was that we weren't only um, a women founding team, but we were solving a problem that is um, 100% experienced by women. Yeah. And 99% of the people that I was pitching the company to, as most of you are well aware, were men. Yep. And I think in those early days of raising capital, people are investing passion dollars. You know, they want to be passionate about the problem you're solving. They want to be um, passionate about about the vision. And we, it was really hard to drum up that passion in middle to, you know, older men who maybe saw us as more daughter-like or didn't have never experienced this themselves. When you talk to a woman, a woman they got it immediately, right? It's like, oh, my God, this is the most antiquated industry. Industry. It's a you know three hundred billion dollar industry that was invented forty years ago, right? And has not changed since that time. And they got it immediately. And there was a lot of passion around it from from the women investors we talked to. But it was very hard to get that passion out of guys. And and I think that was hard early on. And, and the second thing you know that I felt we faced, and this has been somewhat well researched now. And in fact, Harvard Business Review published an article on this. Is that we found that when we pitched um, to investors, um, they were looking for um, for reasons. I felt for reasons to say no. Yep. Whereas I felt that many men that pitched were they were looking for confirmatory data, reasons to say yes. So what that forced us to do is we had to be super data driven in every pitch that we gave. We had to show revenue traction before we even raised our first dollar. I think that we were honestly forced to be in a place that was very very different than some of our colleagues but i will say i think it's made us a better business so yeah i, I totally agree with you um and there's a couple points of this and after you're done i'll uh you know once we let you go i'll i'll pick up the conversation on the the what i think the benefits are as a business uh for having gone through this but i, I will say so i was talking to genevieve theers uh who may many of you may know from uh sitter city about this on both the podcast and the live show and pretty much every time i run into genevieve um and that is that she was solving a problem that was um, especially when she started Sitter City, which is like, I can't even remember the day, like a decade ago or something like that, maybe longer, mm-hmm. um, that it was not a problem felt by men. Like the the fact that the men were working and, and didn't have a sitter to pick up the kid became something that was the wife's problem. 
Like, even if the wife worked also, it became the wife's problem. And so when mm-hmm. she was pitching Sitter City, she's like, you don't even understand how much of a benefit this is to your wife. And she was like, I would try to pitch this to them from, a, I guess, and she will tell you now, like, from, for, you know, regrettably, I tried to pitch this to the empathetic side and be like, you know, empathize with your wife first and then, then empathize with me and then invest. And it was like, you know what? If you're not going to invest, you're not going to get it. You're not going to be an asset that I'm just going to do this alone. And the funniest mm-hmm. part about this that I, which is a reason that we have gotten behind equity crowdfunding so, so strongly here, not just for female and minority founders, but every founder, the best way to prove your company out is to get the customer to buy in. And the most the passionate person about this other than you should be the customer whose problem you're solving. So if you can get the customer to invest in the company uh, along with the product, it just goes better for everybody and it's a great thing. But the the part of this that is, I think, uniquely, um, I don't know what the right word is here, and on a podcast I know what it would be, but on a live radio show I don't know what it would be, uh, the, let's call it unfortunate. The unfortunate part mm-hmm. of this for particularly, again, uh, female and minority founders is when you talk, when I talk to any founder, the first thing I say to them is, don't take a check unless it's a loan. Take an investment for equity for somebody who is going to be a part of the team, an ambassador. Smart money. And for most women and minorities trying to raise money, particularly early on, they don't have that choice. They have to take anyone who will say yes because it is hard for them to sell the passion to somebody who doesn't understand the life that you came up in. And that is that is the travesty that we're trying to solve. That, that, that sort I mean, of thing I, I 100% agree with that. And, and I do think that women um, companies are valued lower, honestly, than our, than our male counterparts. And we've had to be very careful about the checks that we've taken, the equity we've raised because of that. Um, and I, you know, we actually have a lot of, Genevieve is a, is a loyal investor in Brideshead as well, and has been a great advocate um, for women-founded businesses. But, you know, we have a lot of women around the table, too, who are former women executives who have actually been fairly innovative in thinking about um, non-dilutive ways for women founders to raise capital. And they've actually um, agreed to do things like personally guarantee term loans, right? Yep. Because they're seeing the valuation difference between between the two companies and saying, look, I don't want you to have to give up so much of your company just because 95% of the investment world doesn't get it. And I will say some of our earliest investors have been the most supportive investors around the table and have re-upped several times, mostly because they've seen some of the some of the challenges that we face and the headwinds we face by the nature of our product. But I can tell I tell all founders basically two things. One, this is a marathon, it's not a sprint. Most companies don't go from zero to hero and you have to be really careful with cash management because of that, particularly if you're with a woman a woman founder, um, or you think you might face headwinds in fundraising, that's even more important to be really, um, really careful with the cash that you're spending and, and to keep executing on results. And, you know, eventually, um, no one can argue with results, right? And yeah. my pitch now, my pitch doesn't have really any feminine imagery or colors in it. And I don't say the word bridesmaid till about minute 15. Yep. And, 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 and honestly, like to tell you the truth, uh, and this isn't ubiquitous because it's, there are companies that just don't do well and it's nothing to do with female, male, whatever. They just don't do well. Um, but companies like yourself, the benefit that you are going to have, and I'm going to talk about this after the break uh, more in depth, but the, the, the benefit you're going to have is your secondary is going to be infinitely better than the founders that were not female-led that got a nice healthy round to start with because you will have been able to maintain enough control and have done this the smart way 
to where the opportunity for those people who want to get in now, boy, it's too late for you now. If you want in now, the cost is way more than it would have been had you been a fair right. and honest investor in the beginning. And that's tough for them. And, and I think the only change we're going to start having on, on the community, and we have a, a very strong healthy community, but the change we're going to get, we're going to need, is for some big wins uh, from female-led companies so that there's instant regret. That's right. Very That's cool. Right. Nicole, thank you so much for this, uh, for taking the time. Enjoy uh, all wedding festivities and things you're doing this weekend. <laughs> um, and uh, we will come back after this and talk a little bit more about uh, the business scene in Chicago. And uh, where do people go, before we let you go, where do people go to start using Brightside? Brightside.com. Very easy. Very cool. Thank you so much, Nicole. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. Bye. Uh, Okay. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back. uh, And I'm going to talk a little bit more about the situation that Nicole was sort of alluding to and the benefits and things of getting investors. So uh, you're listening to Scott Katoon, AM 720 WGN Chicago. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon. You're listening to WGN Radio AM 720, Technori Live from WGN Radio. Uh, We just talked to the founder, uh, one of the founders of Brideside, talked about all things uh, wedding. I think she confirmed some of the things that we talked about before the interview, which is that there's just a lot that goes into it, and it's like super dramatic for no real important reason. Um, But the the me-first mentality... Uh, that has sort of grown via social media. And I talk about this on, on Facebook all the time and Twitter. So if you want to follow me, follow me at Katoon on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, on Instagram, I'm trying to learn how to take pictures. That's not like a natural thing for me. And of course, Technori, uh, it's at Technori at everything social. Uh, and you can stay along with these conversations during the week in the podcast, listen.technori.com or technori.com, follow the stuff. Um, you know, I, I think it's, there's something about the social media impact on people that has gotten to a point where we literally don't even make the bride first anymore, which is kind of funny. Um, but there's companies like Brideside that sort of take care of that problem and, and handle it, which is interesting. The other part of the conversation that I am more particularly involved in, in the community is the, the, the business side of it. And that is uh, the hardship <clears throat> that a lot of the women and minorities and first time founders deal with in the investor world. And that is that uh, people don't understand what they can't relate to. And, uh, we sometimes forget that it's not necessarily a gender thing or a race thing, but just a simply that's not the world I live in thing. Uh, I don't, you know, I've never dealt with that. I've never asked that kind of a question of my wife or my daughter or sister or mother or whatever. Uh, and so they, they just don't see the whole picture. And the, the downside of all this at the end of the day is in order for a company to succeed, they don't necessarily have to raise money. They can generate capital through revenue. They can do a lot of things. Uh, they can take loans and be strategic. They can equity crowdfund, as we've talked about. They can basic crowdfund, Kickstarter. Um, but the, the key is if you are going to start taking uh, taking in capital via investment, you really have to select your investors wisely. Um, and it's unfortunate th- that for a good portion, call it, half or more of the startup community, which is still a subset of a subset of a subset. Uh, the ability to raise money for the purposes of something other than, it, you know, like uh, Nicole talked about, the, the female founders that, that are, are fortunate enough to, to invest, like Genevieve, they make it about women-only businesses, and then it's like, that's great, but like you, then they also lose out on the other half of, of, the, of the community. And so there's just like this constant struggle going on. And we're trying to do our part to, to solve or help solve or contribute to the solution with Technori by shining a light on this kind of stuff and, and showing you alternative ways of, of generating capital and, and raising capital to try to get, um, get things off the ground, get the, the company off the ground. But I, I will tell you um, 
the advantage that a person like Nicole has is that she stuck to her guns with this and she's built this company literally watching every dollar and only a few million dollars raised and have kept it very, very uh, well run and very, a very well run machine, if you will. And so the payday for her, her is going to be huge, I think. I mean, I think the company is amazing. Um, and, and the the ability for her to do this without uh, without having raised capital is going to teach her, well, she already obviously has learned a lot, but it's going to teach her a lot about how to invest once she's exited this company or she stays in it and makes a ton of money, however she does it. Uh, she will be a repeat founder and she will be an investor for sure. And she will have learned everything the hard way. And in my own personal experience, that was how it worked for me as well. Uh, the old credit card, credit card round, uh, so they say. Uh, I, I think the advantage is you have to do it all, and then it makes you sort of a wiser person for it. And so when, when the table is turned, many of these people who were obtuse or whatever the deal, when the opportunity comes back around, they are not going to be included in it. And I think one of the differences Chicago has on everybody else uh, in startup world is <clears throat> that conversation started immediately. And rather than folding up shop, most of the female minority companies have either bootstrapped it or have started their own community. If you look at like Emil Cambry at Blue 1647, I, you know, I think he came into the scene and recognized what everyone else did, that, that African-American founders were not giving uh, an equitable opportunity the same as everybody else. And so he launched Blue 1647 and gave the most of the founders a place to to set up shop and start and and, you know, honestly, at the end, success is about you. It has nothing to do with race or gender. It's completely operational. Are you good or are you not? Um, <clears throat> so that that's going to happen regardless. But I think what the main piece is, like, those who succeed have the best everything. They get the best start. They get the best resources. They have access to the best things. It's, it's, it's more about uh, what you know uh, than it is about anything else. So I think... Um, to Nicole's standpoint, I mean, she's obviously off to the races with this, and I hope that there are more stories. I know that there are more stories like hers out there that that, that did not get a fair shake up front, but they are going to be all the better for it. Uh, so anyway, uh, if you have more questions about this or you know people who are trying to start businesses, whether they are first-time repeat founders, uh, any color, any gender, any everything, uh, feel free to reach out if you want to ask questions. This is sort of the world we live in. Um, you can, like I said before, reach out to te- at Technori on social media, go to technori.com and hit the message button. Uh, it goes right to my Facebook page and we'll, we'll answer anything I can from you. Uh, and hopefully when we have our show, I don't know if it's even next week, Ashley, are we on next week? Why? Sweet. Consecutive weeks, barring a tooth problem, <laughs> consecutive weeks, uh, feel free to ask, ask questions and I'll come back next week with, with some answers. Cause I know that this is an, an area that I think people are particularly confused on. And then as a complete aside, uh, if you have someone who's getting married and they have questions, um, I am married now, so I'm an expert, obviously. Um, my wife would not agree with that, but I'm an expert now. So uh, with that said, you have been listening to uh, Technori Live from WGN. I'm Scott Katoon. This is WGN. We're going to take our final little break here, and then we're going to come back and learn about what Dane Neal has cooking for us.